Hi everyone and welcome to eTalmud 2.0. We are going to start from the very bottom of Chagiga, Chaf Beis, Amud Beis, 22b. Um, it's three lines from the bottom. And it goes like this. We're first going to analyze um, the third way in which Kodesh is treated with a higher standard um, regarding purity, ritual purity, than Chuma is. And then it, it, and that standard is as follows: Hanose es hamedris, nose es hachuma, avalo es hakodesh. If you are carrying a medris, so that's something that is um, something that supported someone that had been ritually impure, which is actually a very high level of impurity. So let's say you have that on one shoulder, um, you're allowed to carry truma on your other shoulder, for instance, and you don't have to be afraid of anything happening to the truma of Aloas HaKodesh. However, you're not allowed to carry Kodesh. Um, you're not allowed to carry sanctified things, sacrificial stuff on your other shoulder um, because you actually, because it's, it, we, it, we show a higher standard with Kodesh. So now the question is, is why do we show this higher standard? What are we worried about? So Kodesh, my time alone, what's the reason that you can't carry Kodesh while you are carrying a, a medris? It's because of something that had once happened. Because Rabbi Yehuda said in the name of Shmuel, There was once a case where someone was transporting a barrel of Kodesh wine from place to place. Okay, now we're turning to Chav Gimel Ahmed Aleph 23a. So he was transporting a barrel of Kodesh wine from place to place. And and the strap of his sandal broke off. So he bent down and he took <coughs> he took this the strap, and then he placed it on the barrel. And then it fell into the airspace of the barrel. Which then, of course, the contents of the barrel became tummy, became impure. So at that moment they said, no If somebody is carrying a medris, um, they can still carry truma of aloes kodesh, but not kodesh. Meaning, in other words, there was a specific case that happened where um, mistakenly somebody placed um, something that was ritually impure on top of something. That because uh, uh, I forgot to mention, this sandal was a sandal that um, was a medris. Okay, was it was some it was a sandal that had supported somebody that was ritually impure in a certain way. Um, a shoe obviously supports somebody, and um, and now this a strap broke off, and th- that strap ended up contaminating kodesh. So because that specific case had occurred, from then on we said that you are no longer allowed to carry. Kodesh and Medris together. However, because this scenario did not occur with Truma, because this mistake never occurred with Truma, we did not um, carry over this decree or this prohibition to someone carrying Truma and Medris together. <coughs> but now the Gemara is going to ask the obvious question, if this is true, that this incident happened, and that's why we decreed it to be prohibited when it comes to Kodesh and Medris, Truma Nami. The same thing could happen with Truma, so we should say that this decree applies to Truma as well. So we explain, Hamani, who is this Mishnah going like, this Mishnah that differentiates between Kodesh and Truma? It's Rabbi Hanina ben Akav Yehi. 
Um, it's Rabbi Hanina ben Akavya, who basically explains in a different scenario that we only make a decree in the exact same case in which the in which a mistake had happened. That's that's basically what he says. And what's the, where does he say it? De'amar, because he says this um, in the following situation: Lo asru ela The rabbis did not prohibit it except in a except. In a case that involves the Jordan River and travel in a boat, exactly like the incident of the mistake that had occurred. So what we're referring to now, and we're going to discuss it more, is transporting um, chatas water and chatas ashes. So what is that? That's the ashes of the paraduma, um, of the red heifer that are then you mix it with water, and then that water is sprinkled on somebody um, several times in order to purify them from corpse. Um, in um, uh, uh, defilement, um, and what we're saying is, is Rabbi Chanina ben Akavya felt that we only said that you're not allowed to transport it in this scenario if you're using a boat and in the Jordan River, and it's the Jordan River, because that is the scenario in which the mistake took place. So right now we don't know what we're talking about, and that's what we're going to go on. That's what we're going to go on to talk about right now. Maihi. Now, what exactly is this case? What is this case? That Rabbi Chanina ben Akavya was referring to, the because we learned in a brisa as follows: Lo yisa adam mechatas veefer chatas. You're not should not one should not take chatas water. So that's when it's already mixed with ashes, or chatas ashes, or the ashes themselves. Via and transport them across the Jordan River and in a boat. Neither should one stand on one side of a river and throw them to the other side. Nor should you float them across the river. Nor should you ride upon an animal or upon your friend. Unless your feet are touching the ground. So in other words, you should not be transporting this stuff unless your feet are touching the ground. And therefore, therefore, you can bring them over a bridge and you don't have to be concerned that you will be in violation of this decree on how to transport these ashes or the ash water. And this ruling applies whether the transportation is taking place over the Jordan River or any other river. Those are the words of the sages. Rabbi Chanina ben Akavya, Rabbi Chanina ben Akavya said, Lo asru ela the rabbis did not prohibit this transportation of the ashes when it comes to going over a river, except if it's going over the Jordan River specifically and you're in a boat. Like the exact case in which a mistake happened, which prompted this decree, like the exact case that prompted this decree happened. My What was this incident that happened? Yehuda said on the name of Rav. Um, there was an instance with one with some with a specific person. He was transporting chatas water and chatas ashes over the Jordan River in a boat. And it was found an olive-sized piece of a human corpse was found in the floor of the boat. And that would obviously, um, and this is a scenario in which the this olive-sized piece of human corpse um, would defile the chatas or the chatas the, the the ashes or the water, 
And at that moment they said, Amra, at that moment they said, Lo Yisa Adam Khatas, person should not take Khatas water and Khatas ashes, and transport them across the Jordan in a boat, because there was a scenario in which transporting in a boat mistakenly <coughs> or unwittingly made the Khatas ashes um, defiled, impure. Um, we therefore said, we made a decree that if you're going over the Jordan River in a boat, you're not allowed to transport chatas, ashes. And that's how Rabbi Hanina ben Akavi understood it. The sages, they understood it. No, it would apply to any scenario now of any river when you're using a boat. So, so that's the idea here. Um, so, and then what we're going to basically say is just like we see in this scenario, Rabbi Hanina ben Akavi only extended the decree to exactly the scenario to a very similar to exactly this case of the scenario that prompted the decree in the first place so too would we say in our case as well because the mistake that happened that prompted the decree happened when one was carrying kodesh and a medris so we're only going to extend that we're only going to extend the decree to kodesh and medris together to carrying that together but not to carrying truma and a tumas medris together okay um, now we're going to ask a question. They asked, Sandal Tame. Um, the Mishnah obviously forbids carrying Kodesh together with a sandal that is impure, right? That is a medris. Sandal Taharmao. What's the law with regard to carrying Kodesh together with a sandal that is pure? Would this be included in the decree or not? Meaning, would we say that the decree applies even to carrying something that could potentially become a medris together with Kodesh, or do we not extend the decree that far? That's our question now. So let's see. Um, another question, I'm sorry. Chavis Psucha. Um, the Mishnah's case about carrying would certainly obviously apply to a case when you're carrying an open barrel. In that way, the medris could fall into the barrel and therefore make impure whatever the contents of the barrel are. But what if it's a sealed barrel and then it wouldn't be able to go get into the barrel and therefore it wouldn't be able to make the contents of the barrel impure? Do we say in this scenario that it would still be us or it would still be prohibited? Do we say it's prohibited because if we allow you to carry Kodesh, I'm sorry, um, an open barrel, a closed barrel together with a mattress, you may come to carry an open barrel together with a mattress. A third question, what's the law where one transgressed and carried a medris together with Kodesh? Does the barrel of Kodesh automatically become impure? Meaning, is there a, is there a kanas? Is, um, is there a way? Do we, do we, do, does, do things automatically become impure um, when you transgress the decree of the sages? So we have a response at least to this last question. Rabbi Ila Amar, Rabbi Ila said, if you transgressed and carried a medris together with Kodesh, if you did do that, even if the medris never came in contact with the Kodesh, Rabbi Zera Amar, Rabbi Zera says, uh, so Rabbi Ila says that it's going to become Tame. We're going to consider it Tame, uh, impure. Rabbi Zera Amar, Rabbi Zera says, if you transgressed and carried a medris together with the Kodesh and it did not fall into the Kodesh, it's then the Kodesh remains Tahor, remains ritually pure. Okay, now we're going to talk about the sixth case of the Mishnah, the sixth um, point in which we keep Kodesh to a higher standard than Shuma. That's what we're going to talk about now. Um, and what was that? Kalim Hanigmarim Tahara. 
vessels that were completed in a state of ritual purity. And don't forget, you only a vessel can only become impure once it becomes a vessel. So this was completed, it became a vessel in a state of purity. So we say that it still requires immersion to be used for Kodesh, and it does not require ritual immersion to be used for Truma. And now we're going to ask the following question. Digamrin human. The, who, when we are referring to the vessel that was completed in a state of tahara, of ritual purity, well, who exactly was completing this? Who was completing this vessel? If you say it's a case where a chaver completed the vessel, somebody that is very careful with ritual purity, then why would this vessel require immersion for Kodesh? Um, a chaver is careful. Why would it require any sort of immersion? Um, Ella, digarminu amaaretz. Rather, um, it must be that we're referring to a case where an amaaretz, somebody that's not careful with ritual purity, completed them. But then we have the obvious question: Nigmarin b'tahara karuluhu. Would you be able to? Would you? Re, would the Mishnah refer to a vessel completed by Amharetz as one that was completed in ritual purity? Obviously not. An Amharetz, somebody that's not careful with with ritual purity, we won't refer to that as having been completed in ritual purity. So who exactly is finishing off our vessel that the that um that the Mishnah is referring to would still require immersion for Kodesh, uh, and yet we can also refer to it as being as being finished off um, in a state of ritual purity. So Amar Rabbi Barshila, Amar Rav Nasna, Amar Shmuel. So Rabbi Barshila said in the name of Rav Masna, who said in the name of Shmuel, We're talking about a case where a chaver completed them. So if a chaver completed it, somebody that is careful about ritual purity, then what are we nervous about? Why, why do we require immersion for Kodesh? So we answer, Umishum Naira da Amharetz. It's because of the possibility that they contracted Tuma from the spit of an Amharetz that perhaps was just walking by. Um, so even though it was finished, it was completed by a Chaver who is careful, we worry that perhaps some spit of an Amharetz somehow got onto it, which would have made it ritually impure. But we only have that concern. Um, for something that we're more stringent with, such as Kodesh, but not for Truma. But now we ask the following question. Did not fall Amos, when exactly would this spit have fallen onto the vessel? If you're going to say it fell on it before the Chavir completed the vessel, then why would it require immersion? When it fell onto the vessel, the vessel was not a vessel yet, and therefore it could not have contracted impurity yet. Elabasar de Gamri, rather you're going to say what? The spit fell onto it after you completed the vessel? Mizar Zahar Bahu. That's not a real concern. If a Chavir is the one that's finishing off this vessel, he'll be very careful with it and not allow random spit to get onto it once it's finished. So we answer, Laola Mikame de Gamri. Actually, um, it fell on it before it was finished. The Dilma, and perhaps, Be'inna de Gamri Adayin Lachahu. And the thing is, is that. Perhaps once it's finished, the spit is still moist, and if it's still moist, it can still transfer ritual impurity to this now finished vessel, and it wouldn't have been something that the chaver would have been careful about because it happened before it became a vessel, um, before it was even possible for it to contract ritual impurity.
so um, so at this point, um, now what the Gemara is going to do is um, now what the Gemara is going to do is it's going to um, draw an inference from the Mishnah, which said that the vessels completed in a state of tahara require immersion for kodesh, tevila in harav shemesh lo. So what seems to be saying here is that they require immersion. So they have to be immersed in order to be used for Kodesh. But the inference is, is that you don't need to wait to use them until nightfall, which is sometimes required um, in, in, in a purification process. Um, all that is required is the immersion, but not the waiting for nightfall after the immersion to then be able to use them. So what we're saying is then is Masnisen de lo So seemingly then this Mishnah does not work in accordance with the view of Rabbi Elazar, who would seemingly say, which is what we're going to see soon, that you all wouldn't just require immersion, but also require the passage, uh, passage of nightfall um, in this type of scenario in order to use them for Kodesh. Because we learned in the Mishnah as follows. If you had a tube that one cut for putting chatzos ashes into it. So basically, you made a recep receptacle for um, for chatzos ashes, which again are the red heifer ashes, to carry red heifer ashes. Rabbi Eliezer, Omer, Rabbi Eliezer says, Yitbol miyad, you have to immerse them immediately. Rabbi Yeshua, Omer, Rabbi Yeshua says, Yitameh v'achar kach yitbol. You actually don't immerse it immediately. What you first do is you specifically make the this tube or this new receptacle you make it tame and then you immerse it um and then you immerse it now why you do that that's an interesting question that we're going to talk about very soon but just to um just to make it very just just to say it very succinctly right now the reason you'd have to make it tame first and then immerse it is because we specifically want it to be tame and then go through the ritual the purification process in order to contradict the views of the Sadducees, who felt that there was one point that um, that uh, that was necessary, that we are that the sages did not think was necessary, so we go ahead and do something specific to show how wrong the Sadducees are, and we're going to see more about that right now. Okay, so let's talk about this. We asked the the um, the question as follows: the Chachaman, in this case of this tube. That you're that you cut and finished and made into a receptacle to carry something. Who is it that cut this tube? If you're gonna say it was a chavir who cut it, somebody who is careful about ritual purification, then why would I need this tube to go through immersion? It, there's no reason to assume that anything happened to it and therefore it should not require immersion before use. But rather it must be that it was cut by an amharetz. So it was finished by an Amharit, someone who's not careful. Um, but then we have a question. But would Rabbi Yeshua say in this case that you have to first make it tame and then immerse it? Wouldn't you say that it already is tame? You'd already have to assume it's ritually impure because it was finished by an Amharit, someone who's not careful. So why would he require you to first make it impure and then immerse it? It already is impure. We'd have to assume it already is impure and then you'd immerse it. So why would he require the active um, um, defilement? Um, so to answer this question, Rabbi Barshila said in the name of Rav Masna, who said that in the name of Shmuel, 
It must be that the scenario is, is that it was a chaver who caught it, somebody who is careful. But then why does it need immersion? So again, same discussion. Um, and it's because of that we're worried that some of the spit of an amharetz got onto it. So now we ask the question, when did the spit fall onto it? If it was before he cut it or finished it off as a receptacle, Halav Manahu, then it was not yet a vessel, and therefore it could not contract ritual impurity from the spit of an Amaaretz. Ve'ela Basar Dechatcha, rather it must be, that it was that the spit fell after he cut it, after he made it into receptacle. But then the question is, Mizr Zahirba. We assume that a Chavar is very careful and would not have allowed just random spit to get onto his vessel. Um, so then we respond, rather it must be that the spit fell on it before he cut it, before he finished it off as a vessel. Um, and we worry that perhaps even once it became a receptacle, once you finished cutting it and you made it into a receptacle, the spit had not yet dried and it then um, gave ritual impurity to the vessel itself. Okay, so that's the case. But now we're going to go back to, um, to the point. Now, all makes sense according to Rabbi Shua. Rabbi Shua is one that says that the tube is first rendered ritually impure and then it's immersed. That is how we demonstrate um, against the Sadducees. Because what the Sadducees said um, is that the, the, a vessel used to carry ashes, the chatas ashes, if it is ritually impure, then it requires immersion and then also waiting till nightfall to be used. The sages felt it does not need to wait till nightfall to be used. So therefore, that's why they require that you first make it ritually impure and then you immerse it and then you use it immediately in order to show the disagreement and the contradiction to this claim of the Sadducees. The Sadducees were a group of Jews, were a sect amongst the Jews who did not um, adhere to the oral tradition, rather just to the written tradition. Um, so this makes a lot of sense. Now, before we go on to discuss Rabbi, Rabbi Eliezer's scenario, who says you just have to immerse it, you don't make it ritually impure first, um, we're first just going to see this idea of needing to contradict the view of the Sadducees. That's not, because we learned in a Mishnah. Um, they would purposely make tame, make ritually impure the kohen who is to burn the para aduma, who is to burn the red heifer for its ashes. And this was ordered to discredit the opinion of the Sadducees, who used to say, who used to say that the service of the paraduma could only be performed by kohanim who, had, um, if they had become ritually impure, that immersed and also waited till nightfall. So, um, so we see very clear. So, so in that scenario, what you had to do was you would specifically make ritually impure this kohen, have him immerse, and then have him deal with the paraduma, deal with the red heifer before nightfall, in order to contradict the view of the Sadducees. So now going back to our case, um, in the, that brisa, it makes sense. Rabbi Yeshua requiring you to ritually defile the tube and then immerse it and then use it before nightfall in order to contradict the view of the Sadducees. Elul Rabbi Eliezer, but according to Rabbi Eliezer, who says um, that the tube you would not ritually defile, um, you just had to immerse it 
in order to make it ritually pure from um, from the you know from the from the possible ritually impurity that came from the Am Haaretz's spit, like we explain in the Mishnah. So e Amrit Bishlama the Alma and Harif Shemesh. So it makes sense if you say that according to Rabbi Elazar, ordinarily we require the passage of nightfall after immersion for bet vessels completed in Tahara to become Tahar. And then we have a demonstration to the Sadducees, right? Because what the idea would be as follows. Other vessels that were completed in a state of Tahara, they would require immersion and the passage of um, nightfall to be completely Tahar. And here, the cut tube, which is used for the service of the Paraduma, you would be using it after immersion, before nightfall, and therefore we contradict the view of the tzidukim. But if you say that in general, according to Belazar, we do not require the passage of nightfall after immersion for vessels that were completed in a state of ritual purity, then what exactly are we doing to contradict the view of the Sadducees? Um, because according to him, this vessel that was completed in a state of Tahara is always going to be deemed immediately Tahar upon its immersion, and there would be no specific contradiction then to the view of the Sadducees. So we'll finish off with that question, um, how this would work according to Belazar. We'll review it. Um, we'll review it um, for our next week's podcast, but we'll stop right here. Um, and again, we're in the middle of a very important discussion where we stop, but to keep going now, we'll be starting up a whole new Pandora's box. So we'll stop right here. Um, and I look forward to our next time learning together.